Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, Tonight I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Eisenhower era and the detonation of the first hydrogen bomb tests. Okay, so for for those of you who who aren't kind of necessarily um, uh, versed in uh, the development of of nuclear weapons, uh, fairly simply... The uh, the first bombs to be dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were atomic bombs, um, and the bomb uh, that follows it, um, tested in the early 1950s, in 1954, was the hydrogen bomb, and the hydrogen bomb was over 750 times more powerful uh, than the atomic bomb. Um, and these were would be followed by yet more powerful devices uh, later on, and so it shows you in in a space of under a decade how dramatically uh, the uh, the power of nuclear weapons uh, had escalated. Anyway, tonight we're looking once again at James Patterson's grand expectations, um, and he takes us to that moment on the first of March, nineteen fifty four when America tested its first bomb at Bikini Atoll in the Marshall Islands. He writes, 
More awesome than scientists anticipated, it proved to be 750 times more powerful than the A-bomb dropped on Hiroshima. Radioactive debris from the blast spread across 7,000 square miles of the Pacific, including inhabited islands, and enveloped a small Japanese uh, fishing boat, the Fukuyiru Maru, or the Lucky Dragon, uh, that was some 90 miles east of Bikini at the time. Radioactive ash rained down on the fishermen. Some lost their appetites and grew nauseous. Their skin grew darker and sores broke out on their fingers and necks, which would be most exposed to the radiation. When the boat got back to Japan two weeks later, 23 of the crew were said to be suffering from radiation sickness. Fishermen on, the, uh, on other Japanese boats returned to port and also complained of contamination. An outcry arose, picking six months later when Aishiki Kubayama, uh, a lucky dragon fisherman died. American authorities said he had been felled by hepatitis acquired from a blood transfusion, but his organs revealed uh, pronounced effects of radiation. Admiral Lewis Strauss, chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, stated that the fisherman had belonged to a red spy outfit. I mean, one can only imagine the sensitivities of the Japanese uh, population to... Um, further radiation sickness and um, the, the the death of Japanese nationals as a result of an American atomic bomb test. Their instinctive desire by um, the uh, US authorities to accuse um, the Japanese fishermen of espionage speaks a lot about the kind of the the, the, the public place that red espionage had in the American public imagination at the time. Um, obviously, this is kind of just following the, the peak McCarthy years. And also um, the uh, desire for um, uh, to avoid transparency, to avoid accountability, and to avoid blame, and to avoid any negative publicity associated with atomic tests. Um, James Patterson goes on to talk about uh, an equivalent test in the Soviet Union. Meanwhile, the Soviet Union was conducting its own atomic uh, experiments. On September the 14th, 1954, military leaders exploded a Hiroshima-sized atomic bomb in the air above 45,000 Red Army troops and thousands of civilians near the village of Tutskaya. Um, this was in the Ural Mountains, 600 miles southeast of Moscow, and with, within 100 miles um, of a million people. The test, which was not disclosed until 1991, aimed at ascertaining whether troops who were advised that the blast was an imitation atomic explosion could continue to fight under such conditions. Films of the event uh, re uh, revealed that some of the soldiers, who were less than two miles from the blast centre, indeed, indeed managed to struggle through the manoeuvres uh, amid smoke and dust uh, and 115 degree heat but many wore little or no protective clothing and their exposure to radiation was enormous a documentary concerning the episode later concluded that a number of soldiers and villagers fell sick went blind or developed cancer or other illnesses attributed to radiation these two events were among the most shocking of the early cold war years but they were hardly unique the united states exploded at least 203 nuclear weapons in the Pacific and in Nevada between 1946 and 1961, and another 96 in 1962. 
exposing an estimated 200,000 civilian and military personnel to some degree of radiation. The Russians, the French and the British also conducted tests. Americans near the Nevada sites were rocked and startled by blasts and flashes of light from the explosions. Thousands of people employed it, uh, in cleanup operations, as well as downwinders in the Pacific and in the western states, claimed to suffer from the effects of radioactivity as a result of the tests. Whether scientists, politicians and military leaders in the 1940s and early 1950s should have done more to warn the world about radiation remains a debated issue years later. Some scientists at the time were worried, but not only about dangerous fallout from the tests, but also about hundreds of experiments in which radiation was deliberately released into the environment and in, uh, and in which human beings were unknowingly dosed or injected with radioactive substances in order to learn more about bodily reactions. So, here we have one of those moments where... Uh, technology rapidly outpaces any sort of functioning uh, legal, moral or, or political framework in which it can be uh, if effectively managed. Um, on a, uh, a planet such as ours, there are probably no ways of testing atomic weapons uh, without actually causing uh, a significant amount of harm to plants, animals or, or human beings and the uh, the intensity of the testing the numbers of tests uh, between the 1950s and 1960s show a, a huge a huge desire uh, particularly by the, the United States to remain ahead in the, the nuclear arms race and to avoid um, the fear uh, of falling behind a, uh, in, in a missile gap um, as we will see, the, the, the anxieties that Eisenhower and then later Kennedy had about falling behind in the arms race were entirely fictitious and illusory, kind of phantasms of uh, a kind of uh, uh, an anxiety that uh, was not based in any kind of reality. The point is that America was a far more technologically and industrially advanced country than uh, the USSR was, and America hadn't had the rather inconvenient problem of half the country being occupied by the Nazi regime uh, and 27 million soldiers and civilians being killed, which obviously um, placed uh, the Soviet Union after the war in a huge economic disadvantage. One scientist in 1950 warned the Atomic Energy Commission that these experiments, the uh, experiments on civilians, had a little of the Buchenwald touch. By the mid-1950s, many people were growing alarmed by what they heard and read. News items reported the presence of radioactive substance in the soil and in foods and predicted that leukaemia, birth defects and possibly even horrible mutations might develop from explosions that had occurred far away. Leading Eisenhower administration officials tended publicly to ignore or dismiss such alarming reports. The evidence of danger, they said, was sketchy and debated by scientists. If you notice here, there is um, a, a, an interesting um, parallel with climate change debates and with other public health um, debates. The uh, standard trick uh, employed by lobbyists the world over 
is to not necessarily outright deny but to muddy the waters to say well we we don't know enough we um we haven't quite concluded whether this is dangerous and scientific opinions differ and um it's a matter of debate and debate the debate's going to have to go on for a good long time before we can really say for sure anything whatsoever this uh, was a uh, by the 1970s something that tobacco companies uh, employed as a strategy uh, and it's something that um, oil companies and climate change deniers also employed and no doubt um, the same people were advising the uh, the government the this is a a kind of a, a thing of madison avenue and the public relations industry and the question of uh, atoms and radioactivity become a, a, a key part of popular culture, um, from science fiction to the uh, early sort of kind of superhero comics of the, of the 1950s. Um, there were all sorts of beneficial things that were coming uh, from radiation. Um, many experts, writes James Patterson, believe that radioactive substances had beneficial potential. This is true. X-ray machines commonly measured foot sizes in shoe stores. Atomic testing and other kinds of experimentation, he added, were essential to national security and medical research. It's now clear, however, that these experts underestimated the dangers from these experiments. It's also clear that officials in charge of atomic air testing knowingly exposed human beings to nuclear fallout. The AEC uh, staged a well-orchestrated propaganda campaign on behalf of the peace-related blessings of atomic power, and Ike himself, Eisenhower that is, uh, activated America's first commercial nuclear power plant in 1955. The AEC attempted to suppress evidence of long-range fallout problems as they became more evident by the mid-1950s. Those officials who were kept appraised of what the weapons could do, however, nonetheless grew nervous. Eisenhower was one. Following a briefing in 1955 on the outcome of a hypothetical atomic war with the, uh, the Russians, he estimated privately that the, the Soviet Union, which lagged in the nuclear arms race, would incur three times as many casualties as would the United States, but that 65% of Americans would require medical care, most of whom would be unable to get it. He observed... It would literally be a business of digging ourselves out of the ashes and starting again. This was indeed an unthinkable prospect, the most horrifying of the many calamities that would befall the world if the Cold War could not be contained now in the ma- um, that the major protagonists were amassing stockpiles of thermonuclear weapons. Dealing with this new world, which was considerably more frightening than the one that had confronted political leaders in the 1940s, was the most awesome task facing the Eisenhower administration. Ike's performance in the areas of foreign and defence policy could determine the fate of the earth. So, imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The world changed after Labor Day 1949. It was at that moment that America learned that probably the previous year, the Soviet Union had detonated its first uh, atomic weapon. Um, when that realisation was discovered, and it r- was realised that um, the estimates that it would have taken uh, the Soviet Union, to, at least until the mid to late 1950s, to create a bomb, had been completely wrong. Um, the uh, assumption that espionage was involved, and indeed it was, became became widespread. The the paranoia in America about Soviet espionage wasn't completely misplaced. There were Soviet spies and there were atom spies in the Soviet Union, but the evidence tends to suggest that the Soviet Union would probably have been able to create its own nuclear weapons with or without the help of uh, Soviet uh, spies in the USA, in the USA uh, weapons program. But um, Truman and then Eisenhower inherited an America far more anxious about its future, far less certain um, about uh, the prospects of security uh, than it had ever been. Two oceans now made no difference to the threats of uh, of nuclear weapons, um, and even you know during his uh, Arsenals of Democracy speech, um, Roosevelt had suggested that uh, America's oceans no longer offered the USA sufficient protection. Eisenhower's early actions in these respects seem likely to intensify the Cold War, writes Patterson. Repeating the tough anti-communistic messages of his election campaign, he devoted much of his inaugural address to denouncing communism. Freedom, he said, is pitted against slavery, lightness against dark. Uh, In his State of the Union message, he added that the United States would never acquiesce in the enslavement of any people. When Stalin died in early March 1953, Ike made little effort to develop better diplomatic contacts with the new Soviet leadership. Long, long ago, I did a podcast on this very subject, and um, the uh, suggestion, this is from uh, Tim Viner's Legacy of Ashes, was that Eisenhower didn't, uh, was kind of taken by surprise by the death of Stalin, and that the CIA itself didn't have much of a clue as to who was going to be in charge, or didn't have kind of much of a picture of what was going on inside the the Soviet regime at all. 
And it was a moment of great panic of thinking, well, who are we going to get? Will we be able to do business with this person? Are they a threat to us? What, what are their intentions? His neglect, which was studied, uh, may have been unfortunate, for the new Soviet premier, Georgi Malenkov, seemed eager for contacts. Much later, when historians looked at the once-classified documents, it became clear that Eisenhower was wiser and subtler than his moralistic rhetoric suggested. His, he recognised, for instance, that the, that world communism was not monolithic, that the Soviet Union had severe internal problems, that communist ideology was not the driving force behind Russian behaviour, and that Soviet leaders did not intend to start a war. Conflicts between the Russians and the Chinese, he understood, were serious. Tensions with both nations must be reduced. Eisenhower expressed these feelings to trusted aides such as Emmett Hughes. We're in an armaments race, he lamented in March 1953. Where will it lead us? At worst, to atomic warfare. At best, to robbing every people and nation on the earth of the fruits of their own toil. A month later, he spoke out for a limit on arms for the, uh, and for the international control of atomic energy. In December 1953, he delivered an Atoms for Peace speech at the UN. He called on the nuclear powers, US, the USSR, and the UK to turn over some of their fissionable materials to an international agency. Of course, this didn't happen. These eff efforts, however, were sporadic and not followed through. They are the sort of things, the, the sort of kind of good intentions that American presidents and probably leaders around the world periodically espouse. Um, and yet, they rarely do they have to be backed up by any kind of serious intentional action rarely do they have to go beyond the realm basically of rhetoric some of these initiatives like atoms for peace writes patterson were at least in part propagandistic the proposal would have weakened the soviet union more than the united states which was ahead in nuclear development and were ignored by the ussr eisenhower tended to intended instead to sustain the harsh sometimes nearly Manichaean rhetoric of the campaign and of his inaugural address, especially in the first two years of his administration. So Eisenhower was a canny individual and he was no fool and he knew the sorts of language that would really resonate with American voters. He is talking to people in the kind of immediate aftermath, the McCarthyist witch hunts, the um, anti-communist hysteria, shaped America throughout the rest of the Cold War and arguably in some level, some way still does now. Um, it was very little that he was going to be able to do in order to uh, make a sort of a swords into plowshares kind of kind of speech. Um, and, uh, and he understood that. Um, Eisenhower talked tough for many reasons. One was to reassure anti-communist allies abroad of America's unbending resolve to stay the course. To have done otherwise, he thought, would have weakened support for NATO, which was then seeking to build up military forces and to embrace West Germany. Eisenhower also had to deal with hardliners at home, McCarthy being among them, who was stronger than ever uh, in Congress, before, uh, ever before in Congress. Influential politicians on Capitol Hill worried not only about Soviet activity, but also about maintaining the defence contracts that had become vital to economic health of their districts during the Korean War. 
Many of the influential senators of the 1950s, GOP leaders William Noland of California and Everett Dirksen of Illinois, Georgia Democrat Richard Russell, a power on the Armed Forces Committee, uh, Lyndon Johnson of Texas, uh, ardently supported high levels of defence spending and firm foreign uh, policy. So did, so did important uh, businessmen and many labour unions. The more than $350 billion in military spending during the Eisenhower era bolstered a host of corporations and defence workers across the country. The, so weapons spending was an enormous part of the uh, American public subsidies to, uh, to American capital. Um, there's a brilliant book called The Arms Bazaar by Anthony Sampson, and it talks about how uh, com- companies like McDonnell Douglas and uh, Lockheed, after the Second World War, um, virtually collapsed uh, as soon as um, the American government decided it didn't need thousands and thousands of, uh, of aircraft anymore. The economy of California was based around aircraft building as a result of the Second World War. And uh, all of us very quickly, the Truman administration has to find ways to rapidly subsidise this industry and to keep orders going uh, for new kinds of aircraft, old kinds being uh, becoming obsolete as, as the jet age begins. And it was uh, in a bid to prevent... Uh, a, an economic slump uh, coming with the end of the war, which many people had, had worried might be the, the case. And the, book, the point Anthony Sampson makes is that there is a, a kind of a very highly complicit relationship between uh, arms manufacturers uh, and the state, um, and the state not necessarily wanting to create vast arsenals for their own sake, though obviously uh, governments never really generally do object to having large piles of weapons lying around, but uh, governments recognising that this was a powerful fiscal tool. Arms spending is a powerful fiscal tool. It creates jobs, it creates employment, it creates infrastructure, it creates uh, engineering, it creates skills and it creates new technologies. Um, and the uh, the American government is, is, is adept at, at this sort of thing. So We'll look some more in the next few weeks about um, kind of Eisenhower uh, and the uh, the military-industrial complex, which is the term that he goes on to to coin uh, later on, um, and the the idea, uh, the ideas um, around that and the the Cold War and how uh, um, the American defense establishment shapes the Cold War. And by the time we get to Vietnam. Um, and we have figures like McNamara, who is this perfect blend of corporate power, corporate influence, and uh, uh, war making uh, by numbers. Um, it, there'll be a kind of an interesting link up there, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, thanks for listening tonight, and I hope you enjoyed this. Um, and if you check out a link I've posted below, I've created um, a, a, the first little monthly newsletter I'm, I'm doing. Uh, primarily for teachers, but um, anyone can read it and enjoy it. It looks at the bigger context to current events, and of course, uh, Ukraine, it features large. Anyway, thanks very much, all the best, and bye-bye.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah.